One of our bets was that the market would accept a pretty standardized product line of housing. We won that bet. The other bet was that we could get a workforce in a small community to want to work in a factory. We lost that bet. It's a perplexing problem because to the extent that you solve the problem once and then they become part of the free market, you're really not solving the problem in perpetuity at all. Exactly. You're helping some families, but you're not solving the, the, the root issue. Because we're building homes in about nine days and we have 20 stations, um, production stations, which means that every house stays in the station about four hours. This is the Proco 360 podcast for people who love Colorado and love hearing from Colorado's most inventive and successful entrepreneurs. I'm Dave Tabor, and this episode, I expect, will be a fascinating one because it's with Charlie Chupp, CEO and founder of Fading West, a builder of modular homes based in Buena Vista, Colorado. Fading West started in 2016 as a one-off development and has grown within the mission of ensuring that attainable homeownership is available for people living and working in mountain towns. But these are people who teach, support recreation, even save lives who can't afford to even buy a modest home. And that's changing. Fading West is solving that with a 110,000 square foot manufacturing plant. I'm looking forward to this conversation, which we're recording here facing, which mountain is this? This is Mount Princeton. Mount Princeton in beautiful Buena Vista. So Charlie, glad you're joining me here on Proco 360. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Thanks for being interested. Yeah, I am. And thanks to Eric for connecting us and making this all happen. I gave sort of an overview of Fading West, but I bet you can give us a better sort of origin story. Yeah, well, we, um, you know, we never thought about actually starting a modular manufacturing company. That was um, something that if you told me 10 years ago that I'd be doing this, I would have never believed you. Um, my background is actually manufacturing. I started in Florida, um, was a part of a great family business, learned manufacturing. We built all the Starbucks across the U.S. And it was just an amazing opportunity to learn how to build systems and processes that eliminate waste. And that's kind of where I started. Came out here about 10 years ago and kind of stumbled into this need and thought it was just a BV kind of an issue. I thought it was a, uh, a need that just for the local community. And we started building homes. And the question really was, is how do you build a, a high quality, affordable home that someone in the workforce could afford to buy? And that's really where we started. And so we started you know, here in BV. And as we grew, we started using other factories in other states, bringing them in and finishing them here saw the need to expand that and have our own facilities and kind of that's where we started. Yeah. So I want to talk a lot about that and I'm going to break my outline already because when you first saw an opportunity, like how many did you decide, okay, we're going to build X, you know, just to solve a problem in Buena Vista? Well, you know, it's a, it's kind of a long story, but when we started this back in 2015, you know, the town of BV, I think had 16 building permits pulled in the year of 2016. That's all. That was it. And when we got this piece of land, um, we got it really cheaply. It was a uh, 21 acres. We we zoned it and entitled it for 151 mm. homes. So you know the board of trustees here was like, "Gosh, if you got half of all the building permits, it would take you 20 years to build this thing out." And really, what happened is there was just this massive pent up demand, and we would end up. I think we built the whole thing out in about six seven years. Wow. Yeah. So just massive demand. Yeah. And yeah. We thought that it would balance out. The, you know, if we increase the supply and met the demand that we would balance out costs and, and minimize housing prices, 
and it didn't happen at yeah. all. It's just so much demand. All right, we're going to talk some more about that in a minute, but first I want to back up because you named the company after a Switchfoot album, and I listened to it, and I'm like, it's kind of an uplifting sound, yeah. but what's, where does that come from? Yeah, so um, randomly when we started this, you know, when we started The Farm, which was our first development here in BV, you know, I thought it would be a one-off project and I would go do something else after I finished. Um, and at the time, uh, my sons and I, our favorite band is Switchfoot and they're a band out of San Diego. They're incredible, great guys. And we were listening to that album and we just moved from Florida. We were moving West and Fading West had just come out. So anyways, huh. I just like, oh, I'm just going to name it after my favorite album. And that's how it started. So do they know and do they care? They do. You know, I got to meet them um, you did. A, a couple times yeah. and um, they gave us the Fading West, uh, the um, the web uh address yeah. so that we could have fadingwest.com really so they because you wanted their permission obviously yeah. yes yes so i still send them updates every once in a while I'll say hey we were in the time magazine and your album was on there and so um yeah that's how it started that's cool and so they were really cool sharing and great amazing they're they're pretty amazing people that's neat now on your website you compare like a car factory to you know building homes you say you wouldn't build a car in your driveway and so talk about the difference like why wouldn't you build a house you know on premise yeah you know coming from outside of the construction and development industry you know my background is manufacturing so i i come at this with a very different perspective and looking at how the entitlement process works and all the developments and all this different zoning and codes and building requirements in each different location that you build in, it's completely insane. There's over 300 jurisdictions with their own zone, their own entitlement process, their own building code can be different in every location. There's 300 of them in Colorado alone. So this idea that we have to streamline this process and we need to build houses like we build cars. And that's just the way it is. It's really hard to be efficient when you're building one custom home yeah. at a location. We'll talk about that whole idea because the notion of there have been, I guess, double wide trailers built in the past. There've been other sort of homes that are called modular homes. Yours is modular home. Where have we graduated to a point where modular homes are desirable? You like, if you really want a quality home, are we there? You know, I think we're getting close to it. It's, I think there's a changing perspective on the old you know, perspective of, of offsite built units was usually double wides, vinyl siding, often built to the HUD code, which is a different code than the IRC code, which is what every stick built home is built to. And that's what we built to. And so we built the same exact quality that you would get at a site and we're just building it at a factory and, and doing it way cheaper. Yeah. Wouldn't it be arguable, at least to, to me, to what I would consider common sense that, that a contained environment like a factory is going to yield a tighter, more precise product than a bunch of workers out in the field dealing with weather and whatever. Well, especially in Colorado, when you're dealing with snow and inclement weather for you know four to six months of the year, yeah. absolutely. We can build year-round, and there's so many benefits to being in a factory. One, you can it's, it's a much safer environment. You can really focus on safe systems, safe processes, and better training. And, and another thing we'll talk about maybe later is that, that we're losing our skilled workforce across the country in construction. And here we can bring people in, we can train them very quickly. They're consistently being, you know, given the tools and the training they need to be productive. And we can usually train someone with a little experience in almost any area and within a week. So lots of, lots wow. of benefits. Do you want to talk about workforce? Uh, as I got a, uh, as I got a tour, 
Uh, I saw people in your factory um, who clearly are from all over the world. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, that was, um, you know, when you start a company, you've started companies before, you, you come out with some strategic bets, right? You think, okay, I'm betting that I can do this, I can do that, that the market will accept this or whatever. And, you know, one of our bets was that the market would accept a pretty standardized product line of housing. And we won that bet. The other bet was that we could get a workforce in a small community to want to work in a factory. We lost that bet. People in rural Colorado did not move here to work in a factory. They came to ski <laughs> and to snowboard and to go elk hunting. So, yes, we've brought in a lot of people from different areas that, um, who, who are excited about this type of a career. And we had to find housing for them, and it's a lot, but um, yeah, it was a challenge. Yeah, and now you're actually providing the kinds of housing that your customers want you to provide for them. You're providing for your own workers. Exactly, yeah. We got stuck with the same problem we're trying to solve huh. with everybody else. Yeah. Now, we're going to come to a number of these things in, in a minute. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast the last three years. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the podcast for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs. My guest is Charlie Chupp, CEO and founder of Fading West. I want to thank our great sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. And Kinsley Meetings is our longest running sponsor of Proco 360. Their business is growing based on a great reputation for planning and conducting meetings all over the world. A lot of them that are quite complex. You know, they probably need some of your lean uh, <laughs> lean manufacturing methods. Also want to thank our friends at Via Technologies. Thanks for hosting Proco 360 and all the great help your team gives me around managing the website. Finally, Colorado Biz Magazine. Our partnership is one of building our audience together. You can go to Proco360.com and check out these sponsors. And I want to, Charlie, switching back to sort of level setting a little bit. The term is out there a lot. And we read about it a ton. Attainable housing, affordable housing. What's the difference and what are you doing? Yes. When we started this, this that was confusing as well. So what we think about is we've really, we really focus on attainable housing, which we define as someone making between 80 and 120% of the area's median income. Then using kind of the rule of thumb where you can spend 30% of your income on housing, we kind of back into what is an affordable house for someone in the attainable workforce yeah. segment of the market. Yeah, affordable becomes, that that really gets starts getting down you know below 60% AMI, which is usually done by the habitats and non-for-profits. Yeah. It's really almost impossible to get to that price So the, the occupations of the people who are, in your homes, buying them, or uh, let's say buying them first. I mean, are they teachers? Are they firefighters? And that sort of, or who are they? Yeah, they're they're fam, you know, starting families. They're lots of people: first responders, police officers, firefighters, nurses, social workers, retired couples. Um, pretty pretty diverse um, home buyers. Yeah, and and so people may be making between twenty five dollars and forty five dollars an hour, somewhere in that range. But I mean. At some point, though, the cost to build a house, just the materials and everything else, I mean, isn't that creating a challenge to continue to produce attainable housing just by the math? Oh, yeah. If I start crying at some point during the podcast, that's why. It's because there has, when we started this, there was, you know, back in 2016, we didn't have COVID. We didn't have the supply chain disruptions. And since 2020, it has been a massive change in the ability to create affordability in housing. And a lot of that's driven just by the the material costs, but also workforce. I mean, workforce labor has gotten more expensive. And at the same time, we're battling the ever-increasing 
zones and code requirements. And every year a new code yeah, comes yeah, out, yeah. which requires more costs and more expenses. Yeah. So, I was speaking with a home builder who said, if you want more affordable housing, don't make it more expensive to build them. <laughs> so, oh, I've said, I've said this before that makes people mad that if we approached the auto industry and the transportation industry the same way we approach housing, we would have a 35 mile an hour national speed limit. It is overwhelming. It's that restrictive. It is that restrictive. Wow. And by the way, you get to modify it in every jurisdiction over 300 across the U oh, Colorado. Wow. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about the concept. I was just in your very first community, drove around the idea of establishing communities with attainable housing, um, uh, anywhere from, oh gosh, help me with the square footage, 1,200 to 2,400 square, somewhere. About 1,000 to 1,800 square feet. Yeah. And these are all, everyone looks out to, whether it's a townhouse or, or, uh, or freestanding, they all look out to green space. I mean, talk about that whole concept of creating these neighborhoods. Yeah. So when we started, the the idea of the farm was to create a neighborhood. And one of the phrases we came up with was, you know, the, the idea of using land planning to build relationships. Hmm. And it's it's been really fun to see how concepts that are that have been used for years, we didn't invent them, but we brought a lot of those ideas together. But again, big front porches uh, facing into green spaces, parking in the back where you don't make your car the focal point of your development. <laughs> yeah. And we're great at that in America, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Great at that. So, so yeah. So it's fun to see, um, what happens when you put people into a, a pretty dense, uh, community, but also give them space and, and give them livable areas. And it's, it's fun to see people build relationships out there. And because the, we think about that whole value stream, we, we go into working with the town of Breckenridge or Craig or Telluride and or, or, or like CDOT too, or right? CDOT. Talk yeah, about that. exactly. So CDOT comes and says, we've got a piece of land. How do we do this? And we're like, well, great. We have a development team that will help you with the land plan. We've got a construction team that will prepare your site. And obviously we have a factory that will build the products. So we're really trying to figure out how to bring all of those services to these communities who haven't done this before. Does CDOT say, we've got workers, we need a place for them to live. And do they then give you land or do they subsidize? How does that work? Because they're hiring Fading West to build housing for their employees, right? Exactly. And it, it works in different ways. CDOT, they're, they're big project right now. They have their own land. They're building their own. They hired a GC. They're doing it at the site. Hmm. And we're just shipping them boxes, modular units. I see. Yeah. But yeah. then the town of Pina Vista, we're doing a, a public-private partnership with them where they're giving us the land. Then we're building it out and you know deed restricting it to an affordability um, percentage and then that's being managed through the local housing authority got it so lots of different yeah. ways to structure it well talk about that the the deed what did you call it deed, deed restrictions deed restrictions because if you simply sell homes for an attainable price of let's say 300 or 400,000 dollars and then they go on the free market the next time they're sold they're 600 exactly. and it doesn't solve the problem in exactly. the least right exactly you know, it's it's something that we've debated um, back and forth because there's pros and cons to deed restrictions. Deed restrictions keep the price of a home from ever increasing more than a certain percent over time. And the, the benefit of that, obviously, is you have affordable housing over the long term. The, the con to it is that the teacher who buys it never appreciates at a market rate. So they are then stuck when they sell into another deed restricted unit. Uh, so is the, there some happy medium in there where it's, you know, 8% or something like that? Well, there's smarter people than I am that know those details. Um, we go back and forth on, yeah. on them and 
you know, the, the, the answer is supply has to meet demand yeah. and, and that's what has to happen. Yeah, I get that. It's a perplexing problem because to the extent that you solve the problem once and then they become part of the free market, you're really not solving the problem in perpetuity at exactly. all. Exactly. You're helping some families, but you're not solving the, the, the root issue. This takes a village. We have to all look at this from from government, from um, municipalities, from um, nonprofits, and we have to figure this out at a base level because if we continue to do it the same way we're doing it, we're not going to solve it. Well, and that's my question. And this would sound it's so interesting to me is the idea that if you build a hundred units, you solve it for a hundred people, and then all of a sudden now, then they go up by fifty percent in two years. Right now, you right. know, you're back where you started. Exactly. Really. So most people are doing deed restriction. Almost every community that we're working with is doing deed restriction. And so yeah. we'll probably build over 300 homes this year. And I would say 275 of them are deed restricted. For that reason. Yes. And then a bunch that you're building aren't for sale at all. They're really rentals to be controlled by the employer, correct? Exactly. Or the municipality. Breckenridge has done a big project with 60 apartments and they will control them mm -hmm. and keep them and... Yeah. So how do you find land? Because, right, I mean, if I, I understand there's a small development in the town of Breckenridge, but generally, you know, they're trying to house, if it's in a mountain town, they're trying to house workers that live or that work there, you know, but are making not a lot of money. And now they're commuting an hour. But where can you, can you build these units close enough to actually change the lifestyle to people that are using them? We can. It depends on the municipality having access to land. And it could be it could be the school board. It could be the Department of Transportation. There's lots of available government land within these communities. And so there, there, there is an opportunity uh, there. So they need to feel motivated that this is a solution that they want to release their land? Absolutely. And yeah, we're becoming yeah. more of a partner with these municipalities yeah. because they own the land. And, but they've never done development yeah. before. Now, let's face it, municipalities, governments of any kind, you know, I mean, there's just learning how to do these public-private partnerships, right? I mean, do they, are they a little skeptical because you're a profit for profit organization and do they have concerns about, you know, partnering with you in that way? We haven't seen a lot of that. Good. Um, yeah. Because they know that if they're buying any product from another manufacturer, yeah. it's going to be for profit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we... But they're giving land. It's right. like a different thing. Right. It's like a per in perpetuity as opposed to buying a desk or whatever. Well, and that's where the deed restrictions come in is they give us the uh, land and yeah, we yeah. make sure it's deed restricted. So Got then it. there's yeah. a benefit on both sides. Yeah, that but, makes but, sense. But, you know, the interesting part about these municipalities is that it's not just one decision maker. I think for the town of Breckenridge, we counted up, we took over 100 people from the Breckenridge on tours so that uh -huh. we could build the support of, of the community and the municipality, and they would feel good and excited uh, about it. A whole so. different definition of it takes a village. It right? does. <laughs> so, it does. Um, now, you, I'm impressed because having walked now your factory, I mean, it's huge. In, in fact, it's even got two levels of production. Mm -hmm. uh, huge cranes moving walls and stuff like that. I mean, what, talk about that leap from building one development, you know, in Buena Vista to building 110,000 square foot factory here yes so it was definitely a, a, a leap the you know honestly our factory is probably on the smaller side for most modular factories hmm. so we're a single line factory which means we don't have you know we have one production line going through the factory and uh, you know a lot of these factories are four hundred thousand square feet hmm. four or five times as big as we are and but the jump really you know the actual manufacturing of housing is not hard 
I mean, this is two by fours, drywall, screws, basic plumbing, electrical. We're not building quantum computers here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the product itself is not difficult to build. The The actual sequencing of the production line is the biggest the challenge. The process. It's yes, the process. it's absolutely yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah. Because we're building homes in about nine days and we have 20 stations, um, production mm. stations, which means that every house stays in a station about four hours. Wow. So it is, it's this dance of every station has to move every four hours. Wow. So still, how much did it cost to build this factory? You know, all in, this is probably about a 30 to $35 million uh, adventure. Yeah. So, I mean, at what point did you go from, okay, we built these, how many homes are in, uh, in 150. Your first so you built 150 modular homes and then you spent $35 million. Yes. I mean, the math, how did, how did you make the math work on that? Well, um, I'm, if my banks are listening, um, the math does work oh, eventually. Yeah. I'm no, sure eventually. But, yeah. but it's not just me, obviously yeah. it's, we have some great investors and, and the, the, the state of Colorado was great at helping us get started. But you must have forecasted a hundred X growth. Uh, at some point in order to justify this. Well, absolutely. I mean, the housing need is so overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. The demand, just Colorado alone, we, by most estimates, are, is between 100 and 200,000 housing units yeah. short. Are you profitable yet? We are. Nice. Which is a slight miracle. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> no, but that's a great thing. Now, talk about to what extent you share values on your website, which are care for people, keep our promises, we do crazy, simplify and standardize. You've talked a little bit about that. We hate waste. And I saw, I mean, a typical home production, there's waste of what, almost a third. And here it's three, 4%. Is there? And then also Excel and Outperform. So which of those is your favorite? You know, it's, it's funny because when we started this, it was me and a part-time assistant. And as we started growing, we started thinking about how, how do we make sure that the culture and our philosophies of business stay the same? And so that's where a lot of these came from. But as I think about like for the business it's, it's, itself, you know, for the model and what we're trying to do, it's, you know, the one you read is, is we do crazy. Yeah. And, and that's really because we're, we're trying to do things differently than other factories and other obviously site or traditional construction companies are doing. And so we, we want people who are excited about that. So mm-hmm. when we bring people in, we tell them, if you don't like change or if you don't like thinking outside the box, this is probably not going to be a happy place for you. Yeah. Um, so we think about that because we have big challenges that we've got to, to approach and we need to do that in an innovative way. So we love the idea of doing crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, but also the idea that we care for people is a huge part of, you know, we, we started this to do good in the world by creating affordable housing and it would really suck if we then treated everybody really poorly. And we're certainly not, you know, perfect in that, but it's something we try to keep in front of us that, yeah. you know, yeah. we care for people and we treat people with respect um, across the board. You know, it as I was preparing for this conversation, I was thinking to myself too, like, it's sort of there's this juxtaposition between being such a mission-oriented company of providing attainable housing and yet investing $35 million in a factory and, you know, having outside investors, you must be profit-driven. <laughs> How do you balance, you know, in your own mind, the drive for profitability and the the need to solve um, a bigger problem? Well, the way we have approached this whole process, this whole value stream from entitlements to manufacturing to the the work that has to happen at the site has always been to eliminate waste. And that's really where the manufacturing background that I have had and really most of the people in the company have had, we're really driving out waste. There's so much waste in construction. You just talked about material waste. At a site, typically 30% or more of materials delivered to the site get scrapped. Hmm. You know, we're around three or 4%. So those are just radical wastes 
that if we eliminate it, there's still profit here while we're still hmm. 20% less expensive than any site-built home. Yeah. And, I sp- and there's labor uh, efficiencies, I would think, tremendously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to shift gears to the fact that you guys are getting tremendous publicity around all this. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, it's completely surprising. Um, you mentioned Eric Schaefer. He, he and I have been friends for about 40 years. And we look at each other all the time. We're like, who in the world is asking us to, to comment on affordable housing? Like, when did that happen? I mean, the, he told me the New York Times just did a story on you yesterday. I know. We were featured in the New York Times yesterday, yeah. which is surreal. We've been in Time Magazine a couple times. We were one of their top 100 most influential companies, mm-hmm. which is yeah. surreal. You know, and honestly, it's less about fading West. It's more about there's a need for for housing. This crisis is touching so many communities across the United States that this need is being felt everywhere. And at the same time, kind of bringing this innovative side and, you know, just being in the right place at the right time, but using that publicity to really help influence what needs to be done and changed yeah. to create more, um, more supply. Is this, yeah. But it seems like the, you know, this is such a painful problem around the country that, you know, you're sort of a darling to cover, I suppose, you know, somebody solving this untenable problem. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's you know, there are people who've done this before. Uh, Sears back in the day had great. Really? Um, yeah. You could buy back in the 50s, you could buy a home from Sears. So this is, a lot of this is not new. It's it's bringing, probably the piece that we're bringing this a little different is that we look at all areas of the value stream from the development and the site work, not just the factory. We're not yeah. trying to build the cheapest box out of our factory trying to get the cheapest home to the buyer. Mm, mm. Um, That's a big piece of it. And the other piece is a lot of modular factories, I would say, are construction under a roof, which takes the same construction processes and products and systems. They just move it inside. So you got the same same framing processes, the same customization. You've got all of the same processes. They just moved it somewhere else. So they don't get the efficiencies. So they don't. And so the way we talk about it is kind of this idea of the manufacturization of housing. That seems kind of hard to believe, though, that in today's day and age, people who are doing more volume than you are mm-hmm. are less efficient and less driven towards that outcome. Well, and they have different models. You know, there's some great companies out there and they just do different. They focus on a dealer network that sells to grandma that shows up with a lot mm, and she wants a house mm, on it. And mm. that's a one-off home for a specific buyer where we're really focused on developments and affordability and partnering with people yeah. who, yeah. Well, as this takes off, are you are, are you already seeing competitors? Are there people that are copying you uh, yet? We haven't yet. Um, this is a, you know, it's a big it's not for the faint of heart. This yeah, is a yeah. crazy business. Well, and, and speaking about big, I mean, these units are big and you have to put them on flatbed trucks mm-hmm. and then set them. And, and there's only uh, a certain amount of practicality as far as how far you can move these. So is the plan then to build factories like this in different sort of hubs around the, the country? Eventually, we would probably expand throughout the western United States, mostly the mountain region. And it really makes more s- it really depends on the location and the cost of construction at a location. So if you can build cheaply in Texas, they're not going to ship product from Colorado to Texas. So the site work makes more sense. But for us, there's so many high cost areas around the mountain region that that's where we 
you know, are really helpful. So you think basically for the foreseeable future, you get your hands full here in Colorado? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And what role has Colorado played? I mean, you're in Buena Vista, you know, uh, which is sort of a centrally located place for mountain towns in Colorado. It right? is, but right. His Colorado, and, you know, Governor Polis loves you. Mm-hmm. Uh, has Colorado played an important role, though, in, in your success? Absolutely. I don't think we could have done it anywhere else. Governor Polis and and his priority for his second term has been housing. He had a great quote in his State of the State address where he talked about housing policy is environmental policy. It is transportation policy. It is social equity policy. It's mm. everything. It's the root of so many of these issues. And, you know, he's really backed it up uh, with the with the Department of Local Affairs, the Department of Housing. They're streamlining processes. They're incentivizing innovative housing programs. Uh, they're funding yeah, a lot of these yeah. projects. So absolutely, the state's a huge player. Are you seeing any sort of question about how prevalent these kinds of developments can become uh, the one I went to visit was beautiful, and yet it looks different from a community where houses are built on site. So are you seeing any sort of pushback or or the opposite, embrace embracing of these kinds of developments? You know, we've seen a little bit of pushback when they first hear modular, because most mm. people um, my age or older think of the double wides and the vinyl siding, right? And so it does they need to walk some of our product and walk through the, the, the shop floor and see the build quality and, and how we're building these. And I tell people all the time, these houses that we build are better in every way than the house I own. Hmm. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think, are there limiting factors at all in your future? Or is this basically, as far as the eye can see, there's upside? Well, the, the upside is the demand. It all starts with, you know, the market need. There's, oh, I think, over... All close to 4 million housing units short right now in the United States. So uh, over close to 200,000 in Colorado wow. alone. Wow. So if you think about that, if our factory could do 1,000 homes a year, it would take 200 years to touch that number. And it's getting worse every year, by the way. It's not just 200,000. It's getting worse every year. So so longevity-wise, we look at the, the market will always be there. The, the biggest challenges are that a factory this size is such a fixed cost that it doesn't weather ups and downs very well. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. as a GC, if your house moves out a week or you can't do it, he just doesn't call his subs that day and they do, do something else. We have 200 people here. We don't tell them not to show up next week. And we have a big factory that's... And you don't inventory. We don't. We build to we build to a specific project. Yeah, yeah. So fortunately for Fading West, it seems as though the demand is not going to cool anytime soon. No, it's pretty overwhelming in Colorado right now. Yeah. 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 Any, you know, what are your thoughts about the future of where factory built homes go, where we might start seeing them in Colorado? What should we be kind of thinking about? Well, I think that with the the, part, um, the National Association of Home Builders did a study and they found that by 2031, that over 41% of the current construction workforce will have retired. So we're losing all of our skilled trades across the U.S. Kids coming out of college are not excited about being an electrician or a plumber or a framer. And so what I see happening is that the offsite industry is going to have to fill that void. And there's multiple segments of that market. There's modular, which is what we're doing, mm-hmm, volumetric, mm-hmm, where you're shipping mm-hmm. the volume of the unit down the street. But there's also panelized construction and component construction. And so 
I think you're going to see a ton of this moving um, offsite. That's kind of weird to me because what it really says is that we won't need skilled trades to produce housing. Within a factory environment, we can train and educate a, a, a lower skill level yeah. to be productive. You won't have to be a yes. licensed electrician exactly. to wire a, a home. Right. We have two for yeah, 300 right. homes. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's amazing. And it's, it's also a little depressing to me mm. that, you know, we won't need the level of skills. And, and that really shifts. Boy, that's just another subject for another conversation. But oh. it shifts the economics uh, it entirely. Does. It does. It does. And it's, it's a shame because uh, if I could go back and help my kids choose a career, man, electrician and plumber would be up there. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's some great careers out there. Mm -hmm. And we work with the local high school and the local college here to really try to promote the, the trades because yeah, it's yeah. a great career for kids. Sure. Absolutely. But in absence of those skilled workers, this is another area that we can produce the homes that are needed, even with a labor shortage. Exactly. Um, it's interesting. Hey, let's, let's wrap up. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk again, but for today, we'll wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Charlie Chupp, CEO and founder of Fading West. Thanks again to Eric Schaefer for connecting us. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kinsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.